Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word, your word which is truth. We thank you that you saw fit to preserve it for us, your children, as it were a a love letter to us, telling us what we need to know about life, about our salvation about you. And now, Lord, we pray that you would illumine our hearts. Give us the light of your word by your Holy Spirit, and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, last Saturday night... Our lights went out at our home. If you live near us, yours did too. That wasn't so I could get an illustration out of it. We had people over. We had uh, had dinner. We had some family over too. Grandchildren around. Having a, a nice evening together a little football maybe in the background, I don't know. And boom, it was pitch black. They ran for, uh, for some lights and uh, I went out our front door to look around in our, our neighborhood and the whole neighborhood was dark as was the one behind us. As I, as I stood out there, I began to see flickers of light in homes. Candles, I'm sure. Maybe flashlights. Probably cell phones. You know, these are the good old days now. And so uh, I went in and I've 
I looked up on my cell phone. I saw that uh, for some reason our whole grid was out. It was a, a big square or rectangular area, we think, because of uh, some kind of a, a car accident that must have, uh, have hit something. And, and I, was, I was encouraged because as I, I looked at this, I saw in the middle of a, the grid on my phone a little bitty truck. So I, I assumed that that meant that they were working on it, or at least they wanted us to think they were working on it. So. Well, after a while, and I, I think it was uh, about 45 minutes or so, the lights came back on, and all was well. We resumed. It was, it was great. We had a nice rest of the evening. Tonight, today, we are going to uh, look in the Old Testament at some flickers of light. Last week uh, in this series, Light in the Darkness, we, we looked at where this darkness came from. What are we talking about when we, when we say that, that the, the world itself was plunged into uh, a darkness. And so we were in Genesis 1 through 3 about uh, the creation and, and the fall. And where we left off was with Genesis 3.15, which we'll look at again in, in a moment. But right after that is where Adam and Eve found themselves in Genesis 3, verse 23, it says this. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So with this with this darkness, it, it wasn't a, a literal darkness. We read about uh, the darkness earlier, but it was a loneliness. It was a loss of, of place. Remember, they had, they had the perfect place to live. It was a loss of intimacy with God. They had that perfect relationship with him. And even a loss of intimacy with, with one another between Adam and Eve to the degree that it had been before because now shame entered into their relationship. Philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the, the help he cannot find in those that, that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object in other words, by God himself. So what he's saying there, I know it's hard to follow a paragraph like that, but what he's saying there is that, that where there is this 
emptiness, that's proof that once that emptiness in man without Christ, in man was once filled. And it was filled with God. And so then there's the fall, as we saw last week. And what happens? There's this empty space. And Pascal says, basically, men try to fill it with everything else, everything around them. They'll try anything to fill up that space within them, and none of it will fill that space because the only thing that can fill it is that which is infinite, and that's God himself. And that's where they were left there. With promises, yes, but still with that, that space. Last week, we, we saw the promise of the Savior in Genesis 3.15. Remember, the first gospel right there. And, and what we talked about was how it's proclaimed, and then the rest of the scripture is showing us how it will be fulfilled. It's moving toward that. History's not circular, it's moving in a direction. And so that's what we will see. For, for Adam and Eve, the promise was there, but it was but not yet. You're not going to receive this as of yet. But God gave hope in the interim. And he did it for his people as well. So what we read earlier in terms of uh, the world being plunged into this deep darkness. And yet there are these flickers of light all the way through history that give hope of this coming fulfillment. And that's what we're going to look at today. Not all of them, not all the flickers, not all the prophecies, but some of them. So here's what he did. He told his people that there is a king that is coming. That was a, a flicker of hope for them that there was a king that was coming in Genesis 49, verse 10. It says, the scepter shall not, by the way, these we're gonna go through a lot of different scripture. They're in the outline there if you wanna, wanna see where they are or if you wanna look at them later on if you don't have time to turn to them before I read them today. Genesis 49, verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So we're still in Genesis, and God reveals that there's going to be a line of, of kings to come. But even in, the, in that prophecy, it's clear that this line of kings is a unique one. Over in, in Jeremiah, he picks up the uniqueness of this king. He will be a righteous one a righteous king. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, 
And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, the people had seen kings. They knew what kings were. They had seen good kings. They had seen bad kings. They had seen honest and dishonest but they had never seen a perfect king. Imagine, imagine this. And this is a, a, a really a, a poor reflection of a parallel. <laughs> I'm admitting it right up front. But imagine we are promised, given everything that's going on in, in the country we live in, that we are going to have the perfect president in the future. Now, that's not, it's not a political statement. You could say that at any point in our history. And, but, but we're, we're going to have, and, and he's going to be perfectly righteous, that everything that comes from his mouth will be truth. There will be perfect justice. So, we're, we're picturing this, we're hearing this, and we're thinking, well, okay, things aren't there now, but, but that's what's to come. Do you see how that could, that could be encouraging even to us in our situation? Well, that's what they're hearing. They're, what they're hearing is, don't compare the king that is coming with the king that you presently have. Because even the best of the kings of God's people, think David, even the best of their kings were flawed, horribly flawed. But what the promise is, what the flicker of hope is, is that the great king is coming. Not a, just another king, but the great king is on his way. How will we know when he comes? Well, for one thing, it's going to be a unique birth. Look in Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now whenever we come to this verse, I always have to take the side trail um, because this is one of those verses that if you're, if you're ever wondering about your version of the scripture, whether, whether the, the translators of your version of the scripture uh, believed in the word of God, whether they were um, uh, respected it as being God's word, authoritative, or whether they're coming from a liberal perspective because there are translations out there that at every point they can, they will take the, the liberal perspective uh, theologically. And this is one of those places. So what you do is, uh, if you're saying, I've never heard of this version, uh, let me look up, look up Isaiah 7 verse 14. And if it says what I just read to you, 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know that they're coming from a, from a perspective of respecting God's word. The, those that don't will translate it this way. Behold, a woman shall conceive or a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, can it be translated that way? Yes. But it doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture if it is. And so this is the correct translation. But you can see how someone who doesn't believe in prophecy or doesn't believe in the authority of the Word of God is going to say, well, yeah, well, it's just predicting the young woman shall conceive. And what's the big deal there? That happens all the time. So how do we know that, that it's really talking about a virgin? Well, fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Here's what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. There it is right there. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. There's the virgin birth. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now here's the parallel with Isaiah 7 uh, in Matthew 1, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you see how if you just translate that in the Old Testament as a young woman, it, it's not even parallel, and it's, it's taking away from the miraculous uh, fulfillment of prophecy here. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. There it is, the prophecy. And then 600 years later, the fulfillment. Can you imagine 600 years? I mean, that's like in our history, something that was said in, in, in 1400 coming true now. It's a long time in that. So we have a great king a unique birth, and then thirdly, a unique location for the birth, which we already read about earlier. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me uh, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old. From ancient days. That's the prophecy. Remember our scripture today. 
that I just read a moment ago. Jesus was not only to be born in Bethlehem, but when, when Herod inquired of the chief priests and scribes, where's he to be born? They even knew it. They knew this, this scripture. And they relied on Micah, on that passage I just read, to where the king would be born to tell them it would be in Bethlehem. We could look also in, in Luke chapter 2. In Luke 2, we have, we have the, the parallel account there. And uh, just, just so we understand what kind of uh, providential circumstances it took for these things to be fulfilled, we, we read about that. In, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. That all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, it's his home, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn. So there it is. Here, here are all the providential circumstances. How, does, how is this uh, uh, predicted, in this case, 700 years earlier? But Jesus was born in a town where his mother didn't live, <laughs> when you look at it that way. How was she going to get there? Well, something prompted them to do a census. First time ever. Amazing. And they went, and not only did they go in God's providence, did they go to Bethlehem, but while she was there, it was the time for the baby to be born. What amazing luck that was. <laughs> it was God's providence. I came across this uh, from a man named Peter Stoner who, who wrote a, a book called Science Speaks. And, and this, isn't, this isn't why we believe these things are true. But what, what uh, Stoner does is he takes... Um, Eight prophecies uh, concerning Jesus, or con concerning the Messiah, and says what, and, and figures out from a scientific perspective, what are the chances, chances, of someone fulfilling these eight prophecies specific? He figures it out uh, that it it would take. One, it would be one in 10 to the 17th power. So in other words, uh, that's, that's one in a one with 17 zeros after it. Those are the chances that someone would fulfill all of those. Now, th that doesn't mean a lot to me. I'm not that much of a numbers guy. But... Then he describes 
uh, how many uh, that one to the 17th power is. He said, uh, he said if you took um, uh, that number, 10 to the 17th power, uh, number of silver dollars, and you laid them on Texas, okay? By the way, you can't do this. He's just figuring this out, all right? If you lay them on Texas, he said that it would cover the whole state two feet deep. And then if you marked one silver dollar and you put it somewhere and you mixed up all the silver dollars and then you blindfolded somebody <laughs> and you said, walk as long and as far as you want and, and pick up one silver dollar... That's one in 10 to the 17th power chances that he would pick that up. Now that, you know, that'll blow your mind. But that's not why we believe this. And by the way, with Jesus, there were dozens. There weren't just eight prophecies. There were dozens of Old Testament prophecies, each one Fulfilled perfectly, all of them, not by chance, not by lack of chance, but in God's providence. And that's essential for us to understand. So not only a king, not only a unique birth, not only a unique location, but a unique family line. In Isaiah chapter 11 it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon them, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, that's describing the Messiah, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. In other words, he will know that which is righteous and right. It's a prophecy of the Messiah out of the family tree of Jesse. And then again, fast forward to, to Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy in Matthew. You can find it in Luke also. And it speaks of uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and on down. He fulfilled it in his family line. And then we see not only the great king, but he'll be the greater prophet. They had seen prophets that had come and gone. In Deuteronomy 18, there is the prediction of the prophet that is to come. Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, says this, I will raise up for them a prophet like uh, like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words, this is God, in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. So it's a prediction that this one will be a prophet. And then you go to the Gospels and you see Jesus speaking, preaching, 
And here's what people say, John 7, verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Not another prophet, the prophet. And this prophet is also God. Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So in terms of applying this, we see God's providence at work. We see his fulfillment of prophecy but as I was working through this this week, I got word that uh, one of our PCA pastors up in uh, the pastor's Lebanon Presbyterian Church in Winsboro was in a very bad car accident, head-on accident. He was in critical condition. He still is to my knowledge. He's had a number of surgeries. His body, his, uh, there's concern for his brain and so on. And as I'm working through this, I, I ask myself, so how, how does this speak to what his wife who's sitting there in the waiting room and sees him off and on to what she's thinking and going through. How does this speak to what his children are going through, to what that church is going through? And I, I know what a number of you are going through. And so I, I have to ask myself, so, okay, what does it mean that these prophecies are fulfilled? Well, here's what it means for us. It makes a difference that Jesus' birth was predicted and it really happened. Edith, Edith Schaefer, in, uh, in one of her books, talks about how when you're, when you're traveling, if you're going down a road and you don't really know where you are, you've kind of lost track. This was before GPSs. You've kind of lost track of where you are and you don't see any signs up ahead, but you know you feel like you're going generally in the right direction. What you can do is you can look back at the signposts on the other side and you can figure out by where you've been, where you are. And that's the case with these as well. The application in its simplest form is that, that God says he cares. He says he loves us. And then he's shown that he tells the truth. He proved it by using the rebellion of Adam and Eve to promise redemption. 
he proved his care by, by promising a childless old man and his barren wife that all nations will be blessed through you and your child. And then he gave them a child and ultimately they were blessed because Christ being in their line. He proved his care by promising to miraculously cause a virgin to conceive a child, and she did. So when he gives promises of the gospel, we can believe him. He proved it by dying on the cross for us and and walking out of the tomb like he said he would. So when he says he'll be a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, and that, that God sets the lonely in families, we can believe him. When he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, we can believe him. And when he says, I am the resurrection, he who believes in me, even though he dies, will not perish, but will live forever. And he says, when he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, he tells the truth. Look at the signposts. Look at the prophecy fulfilled. Look at the signposts in your own life. There's another thing that was prophesied, and that is that his kingdom would be forever. He said this, 2 Samuel 7, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. We're in the last days. We are in the last days by virtue of the fact that Christ came the first time. And he did what he came to do. And he uh, all but established his kingdom that will be forever and he's coming again and then it will be forever. Take heart. Take courage. Take comfort. Let's bow together. Lord, again, we thank you that you have shown us again and again that you absolutely tell the truth. We don't have to rely on chance or percentages. Your word is always, is always truth. So help us, Lord, to listen to you. Give us faith to believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.